1: Welcome to True Crime Garage, wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always is a man that's not a genius, he's not a physicist, but he's a misanthrope. He is the captain.
2: The captain of the misanthropes. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening, and thanks for telling a friend.
1: Beer of the week, today we are drinking Triple by New Belgium Brewing Company, garage grade four and three quarter bottle caps out of five. This beer is almost certainly the first triple consumed by many craft beer drinkers back in the 90s and 2000s, and that alone probably makes it one of the most important American triples ever made. Now I know people were a little upset back in 2015 when New Belgium announced that they are updating the recipe. I did the taste test and take it from me, the newer version is superior. And this superior recipe was brought to us by these superior bings. First up, we have Matt P. in Deer Park, Texas.
2: And our thoughts are with everybody in Texas. Stay strong, my friends. And a big shout out to Danica in Roseville, California.
1: Next, we go up north and say hello and thank you to Christopher in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. And a big shout out to Michelle from the ATL, Atlanta. Georgia. And a big thank you to Michael and Fairbanks Arkansas. Michael says he's buying a round of beers and tacos for the garage. So if you'd like to buy us a round of tacos and beer for next week's show, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button.
2: Yeah, Taco Tuesday became True Crime Garage Tuesday.
1: All right, captain, pass me the tacos. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. 17-year-old Candace Hiltz was found dead August 15, 2006. She was shot seven times total, six in the head and one in the chest. Three guns might have been used to kill Candace Hiltz. A shotgun, a small caliber gun, and a bullet from a medium caliber gun. The paths of the bullets are steeply downward, back to front and left to right. The autopsy does not present evidence that the guns were fired at close range or the order she was shot. Candace was shot in the head once with a shotgun and then five times in the back with a gun of a small caliber. She was also shot once in the chest from the front with a gun of a medium caliber. Someone had broken into the home of Candace Hiltz and murdered her that afternoon. With the gun evidence, Was it one person using three guns, or two killers, or possibly more? This is just the first of many strange twists in the murder of 17-year-old Candace Hiltz. And this is True Crime Garage. Candace Hiltz was born on December 22, 1988 in Cannon City, Colorado. Candace was born into a large family. She was the only girl and the youngest child. She had nine older brothers. Unfortunately, Candace was only five years old when her father passed away. At a very early age, it was obvious that Candace was extremely intelligent. Dolores Hiltz is Candace's mother, and she describes her daughter as candy was a gift and noted that Candace was doing calculus at the age of 11. Candace's sister-in-law, this is Heather Hiltz, said the two were close growing up and grew even closer when she married into the family, and saying Candace was outspoken, smart, funny, and would readily tell you what she thought, even if you didn't like what she was saying.
2: Mm -hmm. Sounds like somebody I know.
1: Yeah, sounds like somebody I'm sitting next to. Mm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sitting next to yourself. She grew up to be a strong young lady who could give her nine older brothers a dressing down Mm -hmm. if she thought they needed it. Now, we mentioned that Candace was very smart. Uh, This is how smart she was. When most kids her age were in high school, she was enrolled at Brigham Young University. When Candace was 16... She was halfway done with college, but then she got pregnant and then gave birth to a baby girl and named her Paige. This is in September of 2005. Paige was born with an illness. This is a hydrocephalus, uh, which is basically fluids uh, or buildup of fluids on the brain or in the brain. This meant that Paige would not likely live a very long life. Candace questioned her mother about how she could afford to continue to go to college and also care for her ill daughter. Mm -hmm. Dolores and Candace decided that they would figure out something. And Candace's mom never told her that she should drop out of school and just get a job and tend to the baby. No Dolores told her daughter that college was, you know, her daughter's dream and that they would figure something out. So by the age of 17, Candace was a mom and still a college student but now taking classes online through BYU. She was looking to fulfill another goal after BYU. She had just received an acceptance letter to Stanford law school. So by the age of 18, she was going to graduate from BYU and then go on to Stanford law school. Her dream was to be a Supreme court justice
2: on August 10th, 2006 the sheriff's department is going to show up at the Hilt's home and they have questions because they're looking for Candace's brother.
1: Yeah. And this is uh officer, Robert Dodd from the local sheriff's department. He's at the Hilt's home. Now we have to set this up a bit before we get into this stuff. So the Hilt's home is located in Fremont County in Colorado, which is policed by the Fremont County Sheriff's department. Mm-hmm. Candace and her daughter Paige lived at Dolores Hilt's home. Remember this is Candace's mother. I've read several newspaper accounts of this and I'm still a bit fuzzy on who was all living at the home for reasons that will become clearer as we go. But according to the newspaper accounts, they are quoting Candace's mother, Dolores. Uh, Candace and Paige lived at her home along with a couple of her older brothers. Of those older brothers is James Hiltz, who is a very big part of our story. James suffered from some pretty severe mental illness. His mother describes this as he is very delusional and fearful of interaction with other people. And this fear or phobia of other people extended to his own family. James's mother says that at this time in August of 2006, James was living in a tent in the woods behind the Hiltz home. Now, this is a very rural area, so... To be a little bit more clear, James was living deep in the woods behind their house.
2: So maybe something a little bit deeper than just anxiety. Mm -hmm. Maybe some sort of schizophrenia. Possibly. possibly.
1: That's what I would believe. And the reports I read, it sounds like they would often not see James for days. Uh, Dolores said James would rarely interact with anyone in the Hilt's family. He didn't have any close friends because he had this fear of interacting or being around other people. The lore said James believed that some other woman was his actual mother, and this, of course, only distanced him further from the family. It sounds like this was a pretty long-term condition that they had been dealing with for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, because it's often reported that Candace stood up for her older brother, uh, because, unfortunately, a lot of times people can be mean. So, anyway, back to the sheriff's department. Mm-hmm. Officer Robert Dodd was sent to the Hilt's home. He was there to question James. Uh, The reports are for trespassing and stealing some items. James entered somebody's home and took some of their property. Well, of course, James is not there for Officer Dodd to question him because he's living in the woods. Um, So Officer Dodd talks to Dolores and Candace. Uh, FYI, I should throw this out there. We would only end up with one version of this story. This would later come from Dolores. For some reason, Candace becomes upset with the officer. There could be a multitude of reasons for her becoming upset with him. Uh, Maybe she didn't like the questions. Maybe it was possible things that were said about her brother that she didn't like. Yeah, and
2: while she's also pretty young, and even though she's doing these more adult activities by going to college and stuff, doesn't mean that she is mature for her age
1: mm-hmm. or or what I you know what I think is probably most likely captain if this story is in fact true mm-hmm. it's probably the way the officer was treating Candace's mother Dolores that's my guess yeah you know the officer when told why Dolores could not produce her son James for questioning you know I can't tell you where James is except he's living in a tent somewhere in the woods you know probably sounds Strange and weird to the officer, almost like he's she's hiding, right? Her or son. she's lying. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, Candace gets loud with the officer. There is there is now a lar- a loud argument going on between Candace and Officer Dodd.
2: Well, and sometimes you become pretty protective of individuals that are very protective of you, mm-hmm. so that could be.
1: Apparently, at some point, Dodd threatens to arrest Candace, and she th- for what? Well you know how these things probably go down when an officer is not getting (laughs) the answers that they want. I I can just kind of picture this thing working out in my head, right? He shows up, he's looking for James. He questions the mother. I can't tell you where he is except for he's living in the woods. Sounds like a made up story. The officer gets upset with the mother, probably threatens her with some kind of obstruction of justice situation. Then we have Candace stepping in to defend the mother. And I'm guessing he probably threw that obstruction of justice idea out to Candace. Well, Well, apparently Candace kind of threatened him back because she's basically telling him, go ahead and arrest me. This is a tactic that
2: they get with their handbooks, right? I I hope not. No, they do. It's a, the handbook is called uh, cops with small dicks handbook. And when they feel threatened by, you know, 16, 17 year old female, Uh, they have to pull out these, uh, you're obstructing justice. I'm going to arrest you.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, I usually have the police backs, but this situation sounds to me like a bully tactic. You know, I've run out of, I've run out. My brain is small. So I've run out of ideas. Now mm -hmm. I'm just going to throw this. Well, I'm going to arrest you idea. out there. Yeah,
2: no, no. I look, I love cops. I love anybody that is willing to sign up to protect and serve. But again, that those, those two words are not happening here. Who's he protecting? Mm Hmm. He's not protecting Candace or the mother, and he's not serving the, the public by threatening people that he's questioning.
1: Well, here's an idea. If you really want to find James, okay, yes, he's, he's a thought to have broken into some homes and mm-hmm. stolen some pretty small items that are not extremely valuable. If you really want to catch James, isn't your best bet befriending the mother and family members of this guy who's potentially living in the woods rather than going in there and disrupting the whole situation and upsetting everybody.
2: Well, and I also think, you know, you, you have to show respect to get respect. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of these times, you know, that, you know, they, I think a lot of times people of authority will come in, not just cops, but they'll come in with the attitude that you, I deserve respect. It's like, well, look, show them some respect, show them that you actually care. Look, this isn't so much about your son breaking into somebody's home, because that's bad. Mm-hmm. But these little items that they sold, we can replace those. Mm-hmm. But what's going to happen when, you're, when your son that has some mental illness breaks into a home with a with a gun owner, and then the gun owner protects their, their property and protects himself, and rightfully so, and then your son ends up dead because of this. Mm-hmm. And if I think if you approach it in that manner, then you're going to get some answers.
1: Right. Right. And, and maybe we need to just keep it as we'd like to talk to your son. We don't know if he's guilty of anything at all. But again, that goes back to serve and protect because then
2: you're trying to explain to him, hey, we're trying to serve the community, but we're also trying to protect your son in the
1: process. Here's the thing. When Dodd gets threatened back by Candace, she basically tells him to go ahead and arrest her because, according to Dolores, Candace says that she tells Dodd, that she had seen him on several occasions accepting envelopes from known drug dealers. And she would gladly tell others at the sheriff's office what she had witnessed once he brings her in on this arrest.
2: Hmm. Very, so, very uh, interesting
1: play. Yeah, Candace should should be should have been a poker player. Yeah. Um, well, Officer she, Dodd
2: she was interested in law. So there's po- there's possibility too that you know she saw in law enforcement and she's like brain it. I've been studying this my whole life.
1: Mm-hmm. Officer Dodd eventually leaves the Hilt's home that evening. He never ends up speaking to James, uh, and he arrests no one that night. Mm-hmm. Now, within within a few days of this incident with Officer Dodd, the Hilt's family dog goes missing. Of course, as we said, this is a rural area and that means, you know, there's about a 50, 50 shot that this dog was an outside dog, you know, lived outside. Right. Uh, I have several friends that live out in the country with outdoor dogs and well, sometimes outside dogs take off on a little adventure for a day or so. And I know my friends don't really become alarmed until the dog is gone for like three or more days. Okay. Uh, so This, it's hard to say if this set off any alarms or any red flags with the family. Okay, we had to take a little bit of a break there, Captain. Apparently, they're chopping down forest around the garage. So, if you hear some noise in the background, that is not me feeding the captain into a wood chipper. Uh, That's just, (laughs) that's just some people taking care of, say something so the people know that you're still here.
2: I'm here. All right, he's here. I'm one limb short, but... Now they're chopping down a tree or something and they're going to toss it into the grinder, but we don't have time to waste.
1: That's right. So now of course, captain, there are cases that we have a, he said, she said situation this mm-hmm. case. Well, this case is a, he said, she said, they said, she said, and oh yeah, nobody's talking about this. Mm-hmm. So with all of that, it makes it extremely tough to piece together this story, but we're going to sift through this thing together. My friends throw it all into the mix Stir up the pot and see what we're left with. So with that in mind, we continue. And I want to throw out here that some reports state that the family was alarmed that, and concerned about the missing family dog, while other reports simply state that the family believed it's the country. We've lived in the country for a long time. This was not a concern. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's recap real quick. On August 10th, while the sheriff's department was looking for James Hilts. Officer Dodd gets into an argument with Candace at her mother's home in front of her mother. Then a couple days later, the Hilts notice that their dog is missing. There is one newspaper report stating that Candace went to the sheriff's department. It is believed this would be to file some sort of complaint. The report does not state where this information came from, if a report was actually filed, or by whom uh, they got this information. So we cannot verify that. And then there is August 15th. This is just 5 days after the argument with Officer Dodd. Dolores is out running an errand, and at home are her daughter Candace and granddaughter baby Paige. Dolores says that she left the home around noon. She returned to the home a little after 3:30 p.m. that same day. When she arrived, she does not see Candace. Instead, she sees an obvious sign of a struggle. She hears her granddaughter crying, and she makes her way through the house. Dolores notices blood. She gets to her daughter's, her granddaughter's room, and Paige is in her crib crying. There is a bed in this room, and the bed appears to have been propped up. There is something underneath of it. Dolores investigates. It's a large comforter stuffed under the bed, and she pulls and tugs on the comforter, pulling it from out under the bed. As she pulls on it, it starts to unravel. Inside the comforter, she discovers the lifeless body of her 17 year old daughter. Dolores knows that it is Candace, but due to the injury she, she sustained in her death, Candace is unrecognizable. Her face and head are a bloody mess. At some point, the authorities are called. The Fremont County Sheriff's authorities responded more than one hour later.
2: It took them a whole hour.
1: Well, what's confusing here is what time was the call placed? Okay. Um, because Dolores says that when she found her daughter, that she, you know, she was stricken by grief. You know, shocked at at the discovery, mm-hmm. and she she basically fell to the floor and laid there holding uh, Candace's hand for some time. Uh, I'm unclear as to who called 911 um, and and at what time that pla- that call was placed. But mm-hmm. the reports that we can see state that sometime about an hour to a little more than an hour after Dolores returned home is when the sheriff's department arrived on the scene. We have uh, we have deputies Briscoe and Dodd, the Fremont County Coroner. This is Doctor Dorothy Twilman. Uh, followed shortly behind. This was an obvious homicide from from the get-go. The first report to come out in the newspapers had little real information and was wrong. Uh, it, it simply stated a girl's body was found dumped in a remote area of the county. E- even though there's a lot of reasons to speculate and question a lot of things in this case, I don't find this as anything of importance Mm-hmm. Uh, more than, more than likely what happened is the sheriff's department offered little in the way of information and the paper just ran with the story. Right.
2: They just went with speculation instead of facts.
1: Yeah. The reporter was probably just told that they had found an unidentified girl who had been murdered. Um, the next reports were accurate with no, you know, with, with again, no real detail simply stating Candace Hilt's 17 died of multiple gunshot wounds, on August 15th, 2006, in the family home in Copper Gulch uh, area, 25 miles southwest of Cannon City.
2: Well, you are telling me earlier, too, that a lot of reports uh, reported Candace as 16. Yeah. Like they couldn't even get the age right.
1: Yeah, there's several reports that say she's 16 and some saying she's 17. Mm-hmm. Years later, Candace Hilt's mother, Dolores Hiltz, discussed with the Daily Record about her daughter's murder, describing how she was the one who had found her daughter and that it was something she will never forget stating that she had found her wrapped in a blanket underneath of the bed. Mm-hmm. It was after Candace Hiltz was found that authorities began searching the area and they found the family dog. Um, unfortunately, the thor- the authorities found the dog tied up to a tree in a place that quote, you wouldn't have seen him. Uh, The dog was tied to a tree and killed with possibly an axe or some kind of hatchet. Now, detectives are working on a new theory after having found the family dog tied up to this tree in the woods behind the house, that someone had either targeted the Hiltz house for a possible burglary or targeted Candace for murder. The killer or killers who had done this took the dog and killed it, a day or a couple of days before forcing their way into the home and killing Candace.
2: Premeditated. Okay.
1: Yeah. They, they also, yeah. Premeditated break-in or premeditated murder. They had also found that someone had forced their way into the home using a crowbar or pry bar on a door, forcing it open to gain entry into the residence. At some point, detective uh, Bruce Briscoe, Told Dolores that authorities believed her son James Hiltz was a person of interest in the case, and yeah. they mounted a search to find him. Uh, I have a newspaper report saying that uh, he was 28, and again, some saying he's 29. Not a big deal, but it seems to be a common, um, you know, common occurrence in this case. Yeah, errors. Uh, but anyway, he's in his late 20s and at this time, and he's over 10 years older than Candace at the time of her murder. The family is ordered out of the home. This whole place is a crime scene. Dolores is brought to the sheriff's department for questioning. During a four-hour interview, Dolores Hiltz said she was repeatedly asked who her son was hanging out with. She answered, of course, no one. He won't even talk to his brother's. It was then discovered by the authorities that James was suffering from a psychotic episode or psychotic episodes. And okay. he had been released early from a mental health facility and was living off the land. Now, apparently he was getting like you know you know how mothers are. Um even even when Well, you have a mother and yeah. remember, you you are a guy that claims to know a lot of mothers. No, so we're
2: gonna bring that up again.
1: Yeah, so you are an expert. I don't need to tell you this. <laughs> okay. But you know how mothers are the best and here's why Mother, most of the time, no matter what you do. Yeah. Maybe there might be some distance between the two of you, but they'll still try to help you out any way that they can. And here's a good example of that. I don't, I don't think you've met my mother. <laughs> apparently, apparently uh, James was getting food and water from a camper outside of the Hiltz home that his mother was, was stocking she was keeping it stocked with food and water for him okay so he would go and retrieve these items take it back to the evidence keeps pouring in at this point the facts are undeniable it's an open and shut case monopoly go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game everyone is still talking about monopoly go for a good reason it is an absolute hit millions of people pass go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through
3: whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com help, slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out betterhelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you one in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to keep your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage.
1: While your subscription is active wherever he was camping in the woods and she wouldn't have to worry about him starving to death out there. Right.
2: And then she'd also know if he took the food. Yeah,
1: that's that's smart. I didn't even think about that. Uh, She told detectives that James uh, didn't come to the house, wouldn't come to the house, wouldn't talk to anybody in the family. Also telling them that uh, he's delusional. And he thinks that Dolores is not his mother and some other woman has replaced her.
2: So with any mental break, one could assume that almost anything is possible. Mm -hmm. But uh, what doesn't add up here is, okay, one, how is he getting this crowbar to break into the house? And wouldn't he know a better way to get into the house? And then also, where is he coming up with these three guns? Mm -hmm. Do we have any evidence that he has three guns? There's a lot of questions here. Uh, and we can get back into this right after this quick beer break. All right, we're back. And I think they stopped cutting that tree down.
1: All right, so we are hunting for James Hilts. The Fremont County Sheriff's Office announced that they were searching for James Hilts, stating deputies and additional law enforcement search teams were searching for James, calling him a person of interest in the death of Candace Hilts. Deputies and other law enforcement searchers were looking for James Hilts in the area of Deer Mountain and Copper Gulch. They described him as 5 foot 10 inches tall, 155 pounds with blonde hair and blue eyes. He was believed to be in possession of at least two firearms. He was, of course, considered to be armed and dangerous. They had not filed any murder charges against James at this time, however, and a couple of officers off the record stated that they did believe that James had murdered his sister. Well, they found him on Friday, just a couple days later, and the... Well, back up a little bit, because, I mean... You know, again,
2: what was their proof that he had guns?
1: Well, if if they're calling him a person of interest in this murder, she was obviously killed uh, by way of gun. Um, So so, they're
2: assuming he has guns. Correct. But I think, you know, what I'm getting at is that law enforcement obviously has the responsibility of protecting the public. Mm -hmm. But also by saying that this individual that has guns that we have no evidence he has guns and he's mentally ill you might be setting him up for a situation where somebody runs into him and they don't catch him alive is what I'm saying. And then if, and and if they don't catch him alive, well then we can just pin this on him and move about our day.
1: Well, yeah. And you're right. They do have, they certainly most certainly have that obligation. We have this situation here where they're looking for the, the older brother of a murder victim somebody that they were already looking for on unrelated charges days before her murder. Mm -hmm. And now you have a situation where if you think he is a suspect and they, they never call him to my knowledge, they never call him a suspect, just a person of interest. Um, if you have a person of interest who you believe may have committed this crime, but at the same time, you also believe that they have committed, you know, unrelated break-ins. Wow, you have to find this guy very quickly because if this is something he's escalated to, right. we have a whole bunch of people that are in a considerable amount of danger now.
2: Well, and I don't mean to throw law enforcement under the bus here because they might have more knowledge of his priors. Because I don't have any knowledge of his priors other than these, you know, ac- accusations of him breaking and entering people's houses, but no accusations or no um, charges on violence.
1: You're exactly right. He had several run-ins with the law. All of them were nonviolent offenses. All of them were pretty petty crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, you but know. I'm just
2: saying that law enforcement in a small town also might know of, you know, oh, he got in a fist fight here or there. They might know about some things that we aren't aware of.
1: His family, when they were looking for him, were they were saying, you know, from the get-go, we don't we don't believe he did this for several reasons, but one of those being he had no previous history of violence, mm-hmm. uh, even toward the family. You know, sometimes things happen within a family, and it's not always reported to the authorities, but they're saying he was not a violent man, but the problem is, at the same time, when you're telling me that your son is not a violent man, you're also telling me that... He might not even know who he is anymore. Right. Um, if if what you're telling me is the truth and and Dolores and family you believe that to be the truth, mm-hmm. he doesn't believe you are his mother. This guy is not what I would what I would call delusional. This is what I would call he's had some kind of break with reality. Uh he might be in his own oh, Isn't that what a Delusion is. Yes, yeah, it probably is. (laughs) But but I I mean, I don't think delusional is a big enough word for what I think this kid is experiencing. Um, I think he's had a break with reality. I don't think he fully knows what's going on or who the people around him may be. Um, This could present a problem because if you have a person who has become afraid for reasons we might not be able to comprehend, he could become a dangerous person. And now, if he's capable of breaking into other homes, like I said, we have a huge problem on our hand. Thankfully, thankfully, he is located, and they found him on that Friday in the rugged Copper Gulch Iron Mountain area. This is southwest of Cannon City, just three days after the sheriff's deputies found Candace Hiltz dead at her mother's home. Now, after his arrest, I, I want everybody to let's listen carefully to the charges. Okay, if you
2: weren't listening before, start listening now. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody listen carefully.
1: Okay, James Hiltz has been charged with first and second degree burglary Mm -hmm. and criminal trespassing. Note, all of these are considered felonies. He is also being charged with theft and criminal mischief. Authorities say that he broke into a home and stole hatchets and flashlights. Sheriff Jeff Beaker said searches have been conducted at the Hiltz home and people are being interviewed in connection of the homicide. James Hiltz was scheduled to appear in the Fremont County court on August 31st. He remained at the Fremont County jail on $500,000 bond until that time.
2: Well, oh, okay. Let me just wrap my head around all this mess, right? Mm-hmm. So he's charged with all these felonies, mm-hmm. right? And what did he still flashlights hatchets.
1: Yes, that's what's reported.
2: And we could assume that he's stealing these items for survival. Correct. Flashlights, hatchets. And uh, we know that he's mentally ill and we place a bond on him for 500000 Half a mil. On a mentally ill person. And I understand that maybe he's a person of interest in a murder. Mm-hmm. But this is no justice at all. This is a mentally ill individual and you're charging him with these crimes where he was not attacking anybody. He was not violent towards anybody Mm -hmm. and he was stealing stuff, surviving, you know, trying to survive why he's going through this delusional state or possible mental break. Like you called it. Mm -hmm. Where's the justice there?
1: Well, captain, I'm afraid I'm, I have to disagree with you. If, If you're saying what I think you're saying, Um, I, I, I sympathize with what you're saying and I sympathize with his condition as a, as a citizen, you know, if I were living in the area or if he were in my area and this went down, here's the way I got to look at it. He's arrested. He's picked up on a Friday. Uh, they, he probably didn't get any type of court hearing until the following Monday. Mm Uh, so that bond I'm guessing of 500,000 is set just six days after the murder of his sister. Now, I understand that these are lower-level crimes that he's being held on. However, I do want to remind you, some of those are considered to be felonies. And one thing that would be presented to the judge at the time is he is involved in a homicide investigation. Uh, We are talking to him about this. We're talking to his family about this, seeking information. Mm -hmm. Um, And furthermore, um, he could be a flight risk. And what I mean by that is, well, definitely. No, I am not look. I am not
2: arguing with the idea, you know. Look, the he set a bail. I get it, mm-hmm. but what I am saying is, the, the initial charges are kind of ridiculous. Anyways, I understand that he committed that crime. I am. I understand that he might possibly admit to that crime, but I think there needs to be a better system in place to, you know, you are going to take a mentally uh, unstable individual and then put them in the system for breaking and entering so they could survive Mm -hmm. in a disillusional state. I mean, that's what I have more of an issue with.
1: And the reason why I say he's a flight risk is he's living in the woods. He's, he's some kind of survivalist, right? He's been on, they caught him in flight, right? Um, you know, and when they did catch him, I do want to say that, uh, they caught him. He surrendered without incident. You know, he didn't attack any of the, people that were arresting him. He didn't have any guns on him at the time. Of uh, course he didn't. He, he, he had some kind of knife. The newspapers reference a knife. I don't mm-hmm. know that that means that he was a violent person. I think no, if,
2: that means you're living in the woods. If I
1: were living in the woods, I would do full like Davy Crockett mode and I would have, I would have knives and the coonskin cap and everything else going on. Okay. Um, actually, <laughs> actually, you know what captain I think I'm going to do. You
2: I, just like dressing
1: up. I'm getting a lot knives. of a lot of phone calls to my to my cell phone lately that that I don't want. I'm thinking about using this story here to update my voicemail greeting, saying, "I'm sorry, I missed your call. I'm now living in the woods, <laughs> like Davy Crockett." <laughs> that's right. So here's the thing: I, I think I think it's reasonable the five hundred thousand dollar bond,
2: just because this is where my head's at. No, no, that's fine. But what I'm saying is. You know, once the bond is done and stuff, you're you're possibly putting somebody into a system that they're not going to be able to get out of, not going to be able to get uh, adequate care for mm-hmm. with their mental illness. I, I think they're, look, I think we, we have the justice system and I think we have to have an, another system in place when, it, when we're dealing with the mentally ill.
1: And I agree with that. But to, I, I agree with the $500,000 bond because my opinion is, let's set this thing a little high so we can hold him for a certain amount of time until we get this straightened out. Maybe he's not our guy, but I'm with you. Maybe, maybe sitting in a jail cell or sitting in a jail amongst other people waiting for trial is not the best location for this young man to be housed while we're waiting to get to the bottom of this. So anyway, James was charged with unrelated burglary charges. Uh, he was never charged with the homicide, Uh, We have to do some fast forwarding here, but eventually James was found not guilty on the burglary charges, but this was by reason of insanity. Uh, He was eventually committed to the Colorado Mental Health Institute in 2008. Okay,
2: so I go on this whole rant and they basically did the right thing.
1: Yeah, I think he ended up in the right place, but I'm with you. Maybe jail, especially with his... Affliction.
2: Well, they probably put him in a cell by himself. I hope so. Yeah, but the the problem there is, you know, he wasn't under any treatment. So at least they said, "Look, we're going to drop these charges. We know he's mentally ill. Let's put him in a hospital and let's get him the treatment that he needs, or try to get him the treatment that he needs." Mm-hmm.
1: And I did mention that they had no. He had no firearms in his possession when he was arrested. Of course, it was suspected that he could have had one or two with him. Presumably, guns that he would have used to. Uh, in his sister's murder.
2: I would like to know if they did the test to see if he fired a gun.
1: That's a good question. Because
2: we could assume that he's not taking showers.
1: Well, we have, you know, we have some listeners that are involved in forensics and things like that. I would love to hear and see on the blog if anybody could clear this up because he was, he wasn't captured until three days after her, after her murder. Is this enough time? I don't know. I don't know the, uh, the ins and outs of this whole situation, but I imagine it washes off at some point.
2: Yeah. I heard it's anywhere between like 24 and 48 hours. Okay. But again, I would wonder, you know, how, how much does it stay on the body depending on how much you wash? You know, if you fire a gun, can you, can you wash yourself, uh, uh two or three times and get rid of this residue?
1: hmm. um, we'll get back to James situation as far as whether he sh- makes a good suspect or not, because I think there's a lot to talk about there. Um, after the arrest of, of James, the remaining members of the Hilts family was now allowed back in their home. Uh, but when Dolores Hilts returned home, she was shocked when she did. Dolores has maintained for years that the investigators botched this investigation. Dolores Hilts has discussed with media and, how the investigators did not take all the evidence with them, uh, that bullet casings were left behind as well as the blanket her daughter was wrapped in. Hmm. She said that they left evidence in there for three days, adding that the sheriff's office investigators didn't even tape off the house. So, so Captain, they didn't...
2: They could have had... Anybody could have gotten there.
1: They didn't secure the home. Um, they left evidence uncollected, and they left a door wide open. When yeah, but fam- that...
2: Right, but now is there evidence of this, or is this just she said, he said stuff? Um, I mean, there is evidence of this because she's collecting the evidence and then and then sending it back to them. Mm-hmm. So that would be the evidence of it. Okay,
1: yeah. So here here's my thought on the door being left wide open. Okay, I don't think this was like uh oh some you know born in a barn situation forgot to close the door. I think this was probably the door that whomever accessed to enter the home, to break into the home, it was probably busted up enough that it couldn't be just closed and locked, simply closed and locked, but they could have boarded it up in some fashion so that people couldn't enter the home while there's nobody there, while they've told the family to, to vacate.
2: Right. But in law enforcement's defense, I mean, it could have been one of those things where, Oh, I pulled it shut and it seemed like it was going to stay shut. Mm -hmm. Um, but then wind open up the door so it could be that case i mean my front door is the same way like if you go outside and you shut the door behind you if you don't lock it it has a possibility of blowing open just from the wind
1: Mm -hmm. uh dolores hiltz went to the fremont county sheriff's office and asked to speak with the uh chief uh, or the deputies that were on the scene this is dodd and briscoe Um, she was told that all of them, all three of them were too busy and she insisted on staying there until someone talked to her. She said, finally, a young officer came out and she told him about her concerns. Now her concerns are she's gone home. The place was unsecured and there's evidence still there. That's what she's trying to report to them in person. And she's, she's getting nowhere with this. She tells the young officer Mm -hmm. her concerns and nothing happens. So when no one called or no one came out to the house, well, Dolores Hilts and her son, this is her son, Jonathan, they went to a store to buy plastic bags and bagged up bullet casings themselves to eventually take them to the officers. She said in those three days, the investigators that were there searching the home, they only took about 15 things uh, in two envelopes and a they took a piece of paneling and a piece of carpet. And she said, that's it. Now, Jonathan Hiltz, this is her other son had taken forensic crime classes. So the two of them, they put on protective booties and, and gloves and they methodically photographed and bagged all of the evidence that was left and placed it in a plastic container, uh, with an evidence log. They, they, you know, so they, whatever they didn't take, yeah, you know, here's what they didn't take. There was a white computer speaker with blood on it that had been used to prop up the bed. This was mm-hmm. the bed she was found underneath. The uh, The blanket that uh, Candace was found in, wh- where her body was found, uh, was still at the home. There was a shotgun casing in the baby's cradle. Uh, all the evidence they found, as I said, was tagged and bagged, and it was put in a container. Mm-hmm. Later, Briscoe showed up with a search warrant. And asked where the container of evidence was, and <laughs> Dolores gave it to him. Okay. Now, the, the Dolores has a very good quote. Uh, when asked about this by the media, she said, "I'm I'm thinking seasoned cops don't leave evidence, and these are not rookie officers." Um, that statement's very true.
2: Right. So, it, it, but what is she implying by that?
1: What she's implying is that it it looks like her and her son were able to find more evidence than what the, the police left with.
2: Yeah. No, 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 I think that, but I think there's maybe they left this on purpose.
1: Right, right, right. I'm sorry. That's, that's exactly what I believe she's trying to tell all of us is that she would have expected some, you know, some do good boy scout cop to maybe show up and not know what he's doing and overlook some of these things.
2: The do good boy scout Always be prepared. He would have collected the evidence. That's right. Sorry you, about that. You know, I apologize. To throw the whole uh, Weeblo Scouts under the bus. I'm a rude person. Yeah, you t- feed me into the wood chipper. You, yeah, I already lost a limb. It's now your turn, my friend.
1: Uh, but I think you, I think you're right on. You're spot on there, Captain. She's she's pointing out these guys have been around the block too long. They've been on the job too long. Uh, it almost seems like they weren't willing to take this stuff with them for whatever reason. Who knows?
2: Right. So that kind of goes with the whole conspiracy theory about this case, though, is that you're if you're looking for this individual that's breaking in and entering into houses and stealing these little, you know, flashlights and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Then uh, this young girl kind of runs her mouth to this cop and then the cop decides, hey, you know what? I'm going to teach this young girl a lesson. And that lesson is then. It. We're going to murder you mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And I think maybe the it wasn't just her running her mouth, but did did what Candace said to that officer, did it strike a nerve? Now, point this out. So if she said, okay, well, well, I know that you're taking money from drug dealers, or I've seen this, mm-hmm. or I can prove this, and I have other eyewitnesses. And then let's say there's more than one cop involved in this, then that cop has to tell his buddy cop and he tells another buddy cop and then they show up and they go, okay, we're going to get rid of her. And guess what? We got an easy person to pin this on her crazy brother. Mm -hmm. And so when we get to the scene, Oh, well, there's this evidence. We don't really want to have that all collected because this, this evidence is going to start pointing, you know, you, you can't hide certain facts just like, you know, there was three guns used in this murder. Mm -hmm. So, how did that happen if it was just one individual? Right. You know, it becomes a, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So you got to connect the dots. Mm -hmm. And, And so by not collecting that evidence, it goes more towards that conspiracy theory that maybe the cops were involved.
1: Well, and one thing that is very telling. So you bring up an interesting topic here because one of the big reasons why Dolores will point out amongst other, several other details why her son, James, should not be a suspect right. is that he he had no friends. He had no people that he interacted with. He didn't run around with anybody. And like you said, th- this this case, well, like I said earlier, this case is very strange because you have two almost completely different stories. You have the, the story of the sheriff's department and you have the story of the Hiltz family. The one place where they do match up Is it seems to be that the sheriff's department and the Hiltz family both can agree that two or more people committed this crime, Mm -hmm. committed this murder. And the verification of that is the sheriff's department asking Dolores, who does your son hang out with? She's not, you know, it's not just where is your son? It's who does your son hang out with? Because they know early in the get go, this thing was committed by at least two people. Well, Dolores on the other end will say that's why he's not a good suspect because he had no friends. He didn't hang out with anybody. He was afraid. He had a phobia of being around other people, of having relationships with people. It's that that is an interesting point where they actually match up in their beliefs. Right.
2: Well, part of the police. Right. You know what I mean? So I I think that's where it gets odd there. And and yeah, is it two or three people?
1: I don't know. It certainly doesn't look like one. Um, and here's one of the other things that Dolores would point out when they're they're worried about her son, James. Um, remember the, the house was broken into. The Hilt's home was broken into. Somebody used a breaker bar, a pry bar, crowbar, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. to break into this door and then gets into the home. James Hiltz, when he did come in the house, Uh, which apparently he did go back into the house on occasion, but this would only be when nobody was at the home.
2: Right. Um, Supplies.
1: There was a butter knife that was hidden underneath a, the front step uh, to the home. And Mm -hmm. he would use this butter knife to pop open the front door. Yeah. So he had no reason to, you know, basically bust his way into that door.
2: Yeah. That doesn't exclude him though. Just, because again, if he is in some manic state or some de- delusional state, you know, he might not even understand what he's breaking into. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be like, oh, well, I have no clue what's happening. Oh, I remember there's a butter knife here. He could be so far gone that, he, you know, he thinks he's breaking into a you know, a a castle or something.
1: And that's exactly right. Those are the questions that come into my mind. And these are reasons why I cannot exclude James as a good suspect. I I think he's, Uh, I think he's right up there. I think he's right up there. There's, there's questionable things going on in this family. There's questionable things going on in this household. And I don't know that any of us have a clue what's going on with James. Um, Here's, here's the questions I I, want to talk about. Okay, we already talked about that he, he may not have had to have broken into the home. Mm-hmm. Now, he he he's already went into other people's homes, and he's stolen some items. Now, we said that the dog appeared to have been killed with an axe or a hatchet. Well, one of the items or, believed that he had stolen from these other homes was, in fact, a hatchet. Mm-hmm. It's actually, in one report, states that he had stolen more than one hatchet. Um, so, he has the means... Uh, to do this, uh, regarding the dog. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a very strange thing to do for, for anyone to do an act like that. But if he he did in fact have a hatchet, was he stealing it for more than one reason? Um, or, you know, it, it, to me, it looks like he had the means to kill the dog. The problem.
2: Well, the other problem too, with the break-ins is you report that hatchet, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But what if you have a legal weapon? Normally, when somebody breaks into your house and then, let's say, you had a a shotgun that wasn't registered to you, mm-hmm. and somebody steals it, you normally don't repeat you don't report that to the cops, right? So, so that's the other issue too. Then, then you go, okay, well, he has these hatchets. Well, that kind of puts him in the more likely that maybe he killed this dog scenario, mm-hmm. and then well, how did he get the guns? Well, right. if he's breaking into houses and stealing guns and I, I'd wonder if any of those individuals would come forward and say, well, I actually did have a shotgun or I did have a 22
1: and that, yeah. And that's why I question the statement that he did not have access to firearms. It, when you're busting into people's homes and taking things, you have access to a lot of things that you normally don't have access to. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big question for me on those, on those other burglary charges is, I would love to know how he gained access into those homes, right? Because here's the thing. We can say all day long that he would not have broken into his own home, that he would not have busted open this door and went in there. Mm -hmm. We can't say that if that is exactly how he was gaining access into these other homes. My suspicion is that my suspicion captain is that he was not breaking into these homes. And the reason why I say that is when I look at the charges He's charged with first and second degree burglary, but charged with criminal trespassing, meaning that he was in an area that he shouldn't be for reasons that, that were no good. Right. And, but you would expect to see a breaking and entering charge with, with James, which we do not see. So I'm wondering with this being a rural area, is this just a simple situation of people leaving their doors unlocked? He knows nobody's home. And he lives in the woods. He can creep up on your house whenever he feels like it, check the doors, and walk around your home and collect items that he believes he needs for whatever survival game he's playing in the woods.
2: Yeah, that's a very good point. And also, too, I mean, look, if anybody knows the credit card trick, depending on where the, your door latches, like you can take a credit card or, or a butter knife or anything and just pop that door open, And maybe that's what he was doing. And then you wouldn't know if the door was locked or unlocked anyways. Right. So he obviously knows this little trick. um, And also, you know, once this trick became more popular, they started making sure that all the locks kind of go one way. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but it's interesting. It's it's definitely interesting. And so if they're not reporting that he broke in, then again, what else did he take that they're not reporting?
1: The other thing too is when when he's picked up, when they find him, there's no report of them saying, oh, we found a bloody hatchet with the guy. Right. You know, um, there was not what I would call any damning evidence against him other than he's misunderstood. We we don't really know what kind of lifestyle he's living or what state of mind he is in at the time that his sister is killed.
2: Yeah, and I would say that with his mental state, he has to be a suspect. Mm-hmm. The one thing I can't get over is, then how did this individual have three guns? And then when they decided to, you know, murder their sister, they decided to use three different guns on this on this individual. And there is some speculation that some of the gunshot wounds happen at the same time.
1: Yes, there is speculation of that. Um, it, it is it would be possible for one person to use two or three guns on the same victim. The reason why, uh, Captain, I can't rule him out. Is I got to paint a picture for you, okay? We have we have a man um, that that is in need of some help, in need of some support. He's living in the woods. We do not know what's going through his mind. If if I try to put myself in his situation, we know that he doesn't believe that his mother is his mother. Can you imagine where you're waking up every day in the woods? You're sleeping in the dark forest every night and you're waking up every day going you know what there's this house that's not too far from here and it's full of these people that i've never met that i don't know who they are and they keep telling me that they're my family that this is my mother my sister my brothers um it it's it's a it's a i could see somebody panicking and doing something Very strange Mm -hmm. in that situation. It's almost, it's almost like being, you know, he's had a breakup with reality and he's thrown into a world that he cannot understand. Right. Therefore, I don't know that we can understand or put limits on what we think he is capable of or what he's not capable of.
2: Right. So you're, you're basically stating that your opinion is that the family's like, he's not a violent individual. So therefore he couldn't have done this. Mm Hmm you know, closed case on him. Let's throw a little other theory out there. I'm not saying I believe in this, but just go with me on this, right? Okay. So this person that is not capable, this person that is not violent, has a mental break with reality. And you normally would see certain types of breaks of reality with the same individual, right? Like if there's somebody that you're caring for somebody that is in your family that has mental illness, right? Mm-hmm. They have a normal set uh, the, the way they break with that reality is normally the same but what if this time was different all right mm-hmm. and then the family comes we got an hour window from the time that they supposedly see the body mm-hmm. and call the cops
0: mm-hmm.
2: what takes place in that hour and then on top of that remember how all this evidence that the police didn't collect mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. then collected and then, then gave to, was this created even after they left? Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Right. Like it starts creating some answers for some of these things that these questions arise. And so your thought would be, okay, wh- what if you knew that he murdered her? And then now you you have two options. Your, your daughter's already dead hmm. and, and what is going to happen to him? What is going to happen to your mentally ill son? And what's an easy way to cover this up? If she is shot by multiple guns, then they're going to assume that she was killed by multiple people. And guess what? He doesn't have multiple people in his life or multiple friends. Mm -hmm. So, look, it's not a theory I believe in. I'm just saying it does answer some of the weird questions that we do have.
1: Yeah. I thought I was steering the ship in a in an unpopular direction by saying I would still consider him a suspect. And man, you drove it right into the right into the iceberg there. This is that, not this is not what I <laughs> this is not what I believe. Saying but it, not only could he be still a suspect, but, but the, the possibility family, of the right, family covering yeah. his tracks for him. Very interesting stuff. And there's a <laughs> lot more. There's a, a lot more strange. Luck and turns and icebergs along the way in this case.
2: Yeah, and let's just be clear. That is not what I think. I'm just putting out the possibilities, and I think when you're trying to get to the answers, right, mm-hmm. when you're trying to funnel everything down to get to the answers, you have to look at every possible thing and where does the evidence point you. know, you. So I, I, I think that's that's all I'm doing, and I think people should exercise that right and ex- exercise themselves in doing that more often with these cases you know to funnel into the truth
1: no you're you're exactly right because this is a case that requires everyone to put on their thinking cap and you need a really big tall thinking cap for this this case because there's so many possibilities and so many just weird stuff um yeah it's that's, gonna get pretty heated i can't really explain it any more than weird stuff all right so for more weird stuff we'll be back in the garage (laughs) tomorrow
2: and hopefully there's no wood chipper all right thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you tomorrow back in the garage
1: until then be good be kind and don't litter